Hi, y'all. Welcome to a very special episode of Oscar Central. I'm Kenzie, the editor-in-chief of our website, and I'm here with Nicole, our managing editor. How are you, Nicole? I am so excited for this episode. You cannot even believe. I'm so excited also. We're also here with two of our busiest writers on the website. Lex, how are you? I'm great. I'm I'm on sabbatical and I, I simply love sabbatical. We love it for you. And the website also appreciates it because every five minutes, Lex is like, can I review this? It's amazing. <laughs> it's great. It's great. And then we're also here with Jillian. How are you? I'm well. I'm doing good. Busy, busy. I love your award season coverage so far. Um, and then we have an amazing group of critics here today. I We really wanted to just get the best of the best here to discuss this um, film we're going over today. First, we have Chels from the Untitled Cinema Gals podcast. How are you, Chels? Hello. I would love to be on sabbatical right now. How do I do right? that? Right? It, I'm it's a long though. story how you get to be on sabbatical, but yeah. <laughs> Uh, and then we also have <laughs> another Untitled Cinema Gal here, but you should also know her from her amazing Substack, which you sub- should subscribe to. Morgan, how are you? I'm, well, I am well, but I did kind of want to throw a wrench in it and say something the opposite of well, because I feel like everyone's, everyone's been well. so positive <laughs> and I'm, we're going to need to bring the mood down just a little bit to talk about this movie. Yeah. I completely agree. And then finally, we have someone you might know as um, the awards editor for We Live Entertainment, but you should also know her from her brand new YouTube channel. We have Zoe Rose Bryant here. How are you? Good. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. We had you on for Blonde, and I feel Mm -hmm. like this will be a far better discussion. Um, I mean, that was a great discussion, (laughs) but the the subject matter was um, yeah not there i know Um, i've actually seen the film this time so that should happen (laughs) love that um so before we get into our discussion i just wanted to give our listeners a little insight to everyone's taste so far for the year and just see what everyone's number one film of the year is as of right now since we are so close to the end of the year um nicole what is your number one film of the year so far Okay, so the funny thing about this is that this question was literally my idea, and I just had to go to Letterboxd and see what my number one is. Um, But I realized that is partially because, and I'm sorry to be complicated, I have a, like, weird caveat on this. My number one as it sits in my Letterboxd is Emily, um, which now has a release date in 2023. Oh, my God. so, you know, I think it is February of 2023, but still, I will give an actual 2022 movie as well, uh, which I have in my number two spot after Sun, which is a beautiful, beautiful film with the beautiful, beautiful Paul Mescal um, that deals so well with memory and mental health and, um, you know, some topics that uh, other films this year have not dealt well with. But I will say my number three this year is She Said, so. Oh, I love that. Um, Chels, what about you? What's your number one for the year so far? My goodness, I'm also on Letterboxd looking at my real five-star reviews and the ones that have five stars, but are they actually five stars? Morgan, should I choose violence? Should I choose chaos? Always Always choose chaos. (laughs) 
<laughs> I'll bring two to the table. Y'all, the smooth brain that Ticket to Paradise gave me. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I've never I been haven't seen it still. It was only in theaters here for like a weekend. Truly. When I say I've not been in a packed theater like that since like 2018, oh all I was the youngest person there by maybe 30 years. <laughs> it was perfect. But also a home that. movie, Do Revenge, y'all. Yes. Just my anthem. I'm choosing violence at all points in life now. What a film. Oh, what a picture. And your, your fave, Maya Hawk. My fave. Your fave. <sighs> <laughs> I love that. Those are two really great picks that I haven't seen, but they're on my list. Well, Ticket to Paradise is on digital now, right? I think so. I feel like it is. It has to I be. feel like it is. I'll probably watch like it can... since I have Thursday off. I feel like I can get my parents to rent that one and watch oh, it. That's definitely like a parents. Like, they'll mm-hmm. love it. Absolutely. <laughs> Lex, what about you? I also was just looking through my letterbox and it's tricky with me in letterbox because I have to weed through all the times that I log how many times I watch Twilight New Moon. Um, but if you if you feed through all that, um, I recently um, about two weeks ago watched Girl Picture and I, the more I sit on that movie, the more I really, really, really loved it. That's definitely up there. Um, and then I think I also got to give a shout out like it to um unbearable weight of massive talent i've logged that one quite a few times knew that was coming yeah i'm a petra pascal girly and that movie fed me well um but yeah i'd say probably one of those two Uh, mostly i spend a lot of my time watching twilight new moon apparently this is a this is a problem i'm gonna need to address with myself so (laughs) i see no problems yeah i don't see any problem I'm pretty sure tomorrow is also an anniversary of Twilight, so yep. always yeah. a good time to tie that in. Always a good time oh, you to know, tie that in. And just if anybody who uh, has anything to do with the soundtracks is listening, the 15-year anniversary is a perfect time to re-release it on vinyl so that it's not $2,000 on resale. Just saying. Just saying. Quick quick note. Um, Morgan, <laughs> what about you? What is your current favorite of the year? Um. Well, so some shout outs for not my favorite are Rosaline, of course, on Hulu, mm-hmm. um, because I love that film. Um, yes. Yet Do Revenge, of course, is my departed. Um, <laughs> the men can have Scorsese. I will have Jennifer Caton Robinson. Thank you. And my number one film is the film that I have now cried multiple times seeing. And that's She Said. Woo! This also speaks I... to me and Morgan's personalities. <laughs> Do revenge, and she said to. They have to show you have to show like your full spectrum of cinema there, and I truly, truly appreciate it. And now I'm pretty sure Zoe can speak for both me and Jillian with her number one, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I think we're all in unanimous agreement here, but. My favorite film of the year is Bones and All, and it has united the three of us. Um, I don't know. It's not just because I'm a Timothy Chalamet girly, but that is a big part of it. Um, But I also just think it's so romantic in spite of all the graphic subject matter and the horror elements. And I've seen it twice now, and it's just intoxicating. Like, I think it's so hypnotic, and I love the way Luca Guadagnino's mind works and the way he ties everything together. And I have a video on it coming out tomorrow. So that'll be fun. 
You so just reminded me that I promised my sister I would get us Bones and All tickets for this week because I'm finally going to get to see it this week. Oh so my, my answer is probably going to change. Uh, it for my favorite probably will. <laughs> I, I think it's like, I'm not really like a coming of age person usually. Like there's the few that like get in like 20th Century Woman and like Lady Bird. But this one like really like, it's so tender at the same time as mm-hmm. it being. I mean, okay. I saw it at AFI and mm-hmm. for the first time and I was like, beautiful. Like no one reacted. It was great. I saw it at Century City last night and um, like half the theater left before it was over. I was very, like a lot of people left before Timothy even showed up. So I was like, okay, interesting. Um, But I just think it's like a really tender and like heartfelt movie. And Mm -hmm. I've always said this about Luca, but I feel like he creates films with like all of the senses for his audience. Like I feel like you utilize every sense you have when you're watching his films. And I think that Bones and All really continues that. I loved it. And that score is just phenomenal. And Taylor Russell is a star. And Mm. Mark Rylands should be sweeping supporting actor. But what am I I talking about? Sully is a friend. Um, But Jillian, your number one's also Bones and All, right? I would say I have a tie between... Bones and all, Tar and Fire of Love, because like Tar just came out on Peabod and like now people are talking about it. And like, I feel like it's, it's one of reminding those, you, of, it's like, reminding me. And I, it. like, there's like so many things I also missed that I was, I'm just like, whoa, like it's this gift that's never ending. And it's just, I don't know, there's something about that performance too that I just can't stop thinking about. And I love when it's like a film is like, it never leaves you. And I feel like with that and Bones and all, like those last 10 minutes, I literally have not stopped thinking about them and the score. Um, and then Fire of Love, like I saw it in January and it stayed in my top five and we're in November. And I, I think I just love love stories, even though Tar is not a love story. It's a very different type of love story. <laughs> um, but I feel like those three, but definitely Bones and all, which I was also surprised because it's framed as a young adult book because I've also read the book, but like, I don't like the way that Luca wrote it or no, Luca directed it. And then his, um, the writer, like it's such like an elevated version of like a coming of age story, which I think, I don't know, just everything about that. And we love Taylor Russell and we love Mark Rylance. We do, we do. But we are here today to talk about one of Morgan's top films and almost one of Nicole's top films. Um, We're here to discuss, she said, the new film from Maria Schrader. Um, It stars Zoe Kazan, Carrie Mulligan, Patricia Clarkson, Samantha Morton, Jennifer L., and Andre Bauer. Um, The film is based on the New York Times investigation that exposed Harvey Weinstein in 20. 18 did it come out or I think 2018 2017 um like about Harvey Weinstein and his history of abuse and sexual assault misconduct against women um the investigation was written by Jody Cantor and Megan Toohey and the book that the film is adapted from of the same name chronicalizes their investigation and 
Yeah. So before we get into the discussion on the film, I do just want to provide a sort of trigger warning. Um, We're not going to discuss any details, but we will just mention sexual assault. So I just wanted to give a trigger warning for that. And then also, I don't really think there's spoilers with this movie, but I would recommend seeing the movie before listening just because I want us to be able to discuss it without constraints. Um, But um, please see the movie. It is not most likely going to be in theaters for very long. So please, please, please go see it. I really believe it deserves a theatrical experience. Um, before we discuss the film specifically, I just kind of wanted to ask um, everyone if they remember when this article broke or just when the news broke about Harvey Weinstein and like, how did it affect you and how did you react? Nicole, I know we were talking about it off air a bit, that there was kind of a difference between the story breaking itself and the news of Harvey breaking itself. Did you want to talk about that at all or? Yeah, I just, I feel like it's a thing where I've heard a lot of people say like, oh, we don't need this movie. Everybody already knows this. And I think that, you know, first of all, yes, all of us who are super involved in the film industry know about this, but a lot of people who aren't as involved don't necessarily. And I also think that while, you know, so many of us now know like a lot about the actual Harvey Weinstein story, I think a lot less people are familiar with the actual story of sort of how this article was put together and the links that these female reporters went to to be able to tell this story. And I think particularly sort of being aware of what it took for these women to feel comfortable speaking and how so many of them felt so silenced is so important to know. And it kind of feels like because of the way that everything sort of spiraled after this, the actual story of it almost got left behind. And I think it's so great that this film sort of puts that back into the conversation, puts that back into sort of our common cultural knowledge. Because I know that like, I knew about all the Weinstein stuff going into this movie, but I really as someone who like I've not read the book that's also called she said that they wrote about you know writing the article but um I was really unaware of a lot of how the New York Times article actually came into being yeah I think a lot of people know the Ronan Farrow of it all and not specifically that these two women were working intensely hard on this before that even happened was even in on his plate at all so I think this movie all these people that are I mean I don't want to say people all these men that are like do we really need this movie like we do and I really think I read the book and I still felt like I learned a lot watching this movie um mostly about the reporters themselves because the book is very not it's the Ronan Farrow book is very personal and this book is not personal. It is very much just about the investigation and what was going on in the New York Times. And I feel like this book did a really great job of like showing you the weight of what they were doing because not only do they have real lives going on, but they were mothers. And Zoe Kazan, like the scenes she shares with um her daughter in the film, just seeing that on screen is very, it really takes you out of it and shows you the weight of the situation and what they were like the the weight on their shoulders is just incredible um did anybody else want to talk about just their initial reaction when the story broke or 
I remember yeah. just hearing about it like before it was even published because it mm. it was one of those open secrets that Harvey Weinstein was abusive to everybody physically, like assaulty, like to so many people. And so I'm like, oh, we're finally getting to this. Like now we care. It's how I felt when Louis C.K. was like exposed. I'm like, no, actually people were talking about it on podcasts a decade ago. So whenever it actually came out and then there was two articles, it was very interesting to have both of them as a comparison and then to see a movie version because I have I've listened to both books I don't read notoriously illiterate and I do like having both of these and I'm glad that this is the one we got into a film though because Ronan Farrow I feel like his biopic is going to be way more interesting than his book yeah, I remember um, when I was in I was in college when it came out. I read both books, and I remember Ronan Farrow came to my school to talk about his book, which is a blur. But like, I thought it was interesting that like the other one wasn't getting that because I think the Roman book Roman book is a little more like flashy of what everyone is complaining about that this movie is not. Um, where this one like. I thought it was interesting to see how sexual assault and abuse is reported through a journalistic lens. Cause I think today, you know, people put out claims or like allegations. And I, I like, I personally like didn't know that like they have to get, obviously it makes sense for them to get vetted, but like, I didn't know the whole process of like, you know, you have all the, all these people saying something, but like, how do you turn that into a story? And then do you, they have to have the other person read the story and like all that. Maybe I just don't know about journalism, but I thought that part was really insightful. And I think for people that don't really think about that side of it as well, it's just, um, I don't know. The whole, I thought the reporting aspect was just something I've never seen before um, dealing with that. And I think it also answers a lot of people's questions of like, why didn't they report it then? And, and I think it also captures just like the moment when that um, article released, because I think it really started something uh obviously with the me too and times up movements but yeah i remember that day very vividly which i think is i think a lot of people do which is crazy yeah i was also a freshman in college and i was studying journalism at the time so naturally the events of the story kind of weighed on what we were doing in school very heavily and i remember i was like walking back from the rec center and like i went on twitter and it was just everything everywhere and then the next day when I went to journalism intro to journalism or whatever um we like completely took off everything we were going to do for the rest of the week and just talked about that and I thought it was really fascinating to see how not only the industry kind of changed um and erupted overnight but also how our social norms and kind of the way we interact with women's stories and listen to women's stories change too because being at like such a formative point in my life and seeing that evolution occur in real time has been very fascinating um, and sometimes frightening because it was also during the Trump administration. So there were a lot of things going on all at once, but it, it is, it's very surreal to finally see the nuts and bolts story behind what put this piece into motion because it really, I think has changed the world, even if we're still, not fully where we should be. It is one of the most influential pieces of journalism ever written. I remember I was in um, <clears throat> law school when this story broke. 
excuse me. And um, what I think is interesting that like I hadn't really thought of until just recently was obviously um, I went to a really small law school where like 90% of the people there end up going into like family law or public defenders, you know, like no one's really paying attention to the entertainment industry. So I remember there was a lot of like my classmates like asking like who even is Harvey Weinstein. But what was I thought really interesting was then that actually opened up so much dialogue of that's something obviously prevalent in the entertainment business. But then like we started, I remember I was like, I think still at orientation and we started having conversations about like sexual assault in the law field because that's also really prevalent. And I just think that domino effect of it got conversations starting, not just within the entertainment industry, but just as a whole, like it, it affects every industry. Um, and I don't know if there's ever been like such a event in this sort of way that had such a wide scale impact on how we approach just these sort of conversations in a multifaceted uh, world. I kind of want to talk about what Chelsea said too, in the fact that these were well-known secrets in essence. Uh, both my parents worked in the film industry in the late eighties and early nineties. And, you know, one of the stories that I remember from being in middle school or high school was we had a, autograph from Bill Cosby in our basement. My mom told me the story that when she was getting ready to meet Mr. Cosby, she was advised not to take a drink from him if he offered one. And, um, you know, so when his allegations and his trial happened, that was information that I knew about probably a decade before then. Um, So I think one of the things that was very um, kind of felt like a catalyst for a paradigm shift in the way that we talk about these things is the fact that all of a sudden we were starting to reckon with the fact that these were open secrets that, you know, were pulling up, you know, a red carpet interview with Courtney Love telling people in 2005 not to go to a hotel room with Harvey Weinstein. Um And so I kind of remember that as a bit of a, you know, both breaking news, but also the beginning of a reckoning because we have all been complacent up until that point to the system of abuse in something that is supposed to be an artistic reflection of our society. So I think I just remember feeling like if the allegations for the person who then became president in 2016 did nothing. I think that I felt that that was that the Harvey Weinstein allegations and the reporting attached to it was certainly actually going to be the beginning of something. Yeah, because you look at the culture now and we're still even talking about it with Lindsay Lohan. Like you can go back and watch Letterman clips where he's bullying her or you can go watch old MTV clips of Ben Affleck groping Hillary Burton. Like these are all things that were just happening that were just tabloid culture. And the film even addresses that in one way of calling it tabloid culture. And I do want to do one one more dig at Ronan Farrow because the title of his book is Tabloid Culture. Re- the whole thing is Catch and Kill, Lies, Spies, and a Conspiracy to Protect Predators. I think that's a little more 
tabloidy then she said i'm like his book is written like a not like a like, i mean kind of like a spy thriller it's a john like, grisham novel yeah yeah like it's and it's very it's fine obviously because there are parts of this movie that i really connected with because it was about the reporters themselves but his book like wasn't about the victims and at the end of the day like you need to have this sort of balance and he's also a man who was raised by people in this industry and I'm just in the Woody Allen of it all and it's just like I don't know I didn't feel his book gave me as much information as she said did whereas she said was very informative and I feel like you can read she said if you are not interested in the entertainment industry it just reads like workplace abuse and sexual assault in the workplace whereas I feel like the way Ronan Farrow talks about it you have to have some sort of knowledge about the industry and what goes on and of his own history and of Woody Allen and the Frank Sinatra of it all yeah yeah it's it's a lot but I do want to transition to our thoughts on the actual film itself um zoe what are what did you take away from the film like the most like what really worked for you when you watched she said i would say it would be the angle that you touched on earlier which was having one of these journalism movies from the female perspective because i think a lot of people have positively compared she said to all the president's men or spotlight and I love those films, especially as someone who did study journalism um, and grew up from yearbook and newspaper in high school and then went into college doing the same thing. But they're not really personal. They're very procedural. And I, I hate when she said gets tagged with that critique because I don't feel that way at all. I think that it blends the personal and the professional so seamlessly. And I, I don't think a lot of critics have been giving the film its fair credit for that, because like you were saying earlier, it for working women and especially working mothers, they do just blend together and you can't separate those two spheres of your life. And also to have two women telling this story and breaking this story about women is so powerful too, because I I can't imagine being a woman and a mother and dealing with these things and hearing these stories. And also on top of all of that, having to deal with the gender-based threats and intimidation from everybody in the industry who's trying to shut it down. And I don't think many films really pay attention to that part of a woman's professional life all that well. And I think it's something all of us here and all women everywhere are very acutely aware of and (laughs) negatively so. And that was really what made the film resonate even more with me. And I think it really inspired me to see that we can bring change for ourselves. And I just, I love that it was two working moms who took Harvey Weinstein down and changed the world. Yeah, I, for me, watching it, realizing it was going to be much more intertwined with their personal lives, I I don't think a lot of men are watching this, picking up on a lot of the things you were talking about. Like, there are so many scenes where it's physical intimidation without anything being said, and men don't go into rooms and feel like they're the only one in a room. Like, it doesn't happen to them. And just the way this movie really... I was talking to it, uh, Sophia from Oscar Wilde about this, but the movie itself frames all of the men so interestingly. Like, they're never in the center of a shot, like, throughout the entire movie. 
they are constantly lit so differently like specifically the scenes where she is meeting I do not remember his name at dinners and he's giving her like off the cuff answers like he's always in the dark and it's like even their husbands are always on the outsides or even in the dark like when um Carrie Mulligan gets a call from Trump like her husband is not even in the room and then he comes in because he's like what are you talking about like he has to kind of somehow insert himself because he's not involved and I think this film just really like I wish there was more with Patricia Clarkson just because I'm so curious about like there was a female editor at the New York Times and that was kind of responsible for getting this out but I in the book they touch on this a lot but that a lot of the sources were contacted numerous times but they never felt comfortable because it was always men contacting them and I can't remember which source it is but one of them on record said they only came forward because it was women asking them and I think that it's so important to see two women telling this story and a woman directing it and what like the amount of care for having women on the crew and not just in the cast is so apparent in every aspect of this film and I think the strongest proof of that is the way the retelling of the assaults is told it is terrifying and haunting but it doesn't show anything and I think that is so much more powerful than anything anyone else would have done and I think the reason we have that on screen is because it's all women behind the camera and what Maria Schrader does in this movie is so impressive and I don't think she's getting enough credit for it. I think that there are a lot of specifically men who are saying this isn't flashy enough and I don't know what they're asking for. If this this movie and this story are flashy enough, you don't need to have flashy directing. Flashy directing does not equal good directing good directing is knowing the direction needed for the story you're telling and Maria Schrader does that and more with this film it's really insulting she's not in the conversation like not that that's what it's about but it's just infuriating it's truly Maria Schrader best director challenge because I walked out of that film and one of my first thoughts was that I was so stressed I knew this whole story I've read books and I did not have to see any of the violence and I was thankful. I'm like, thank God this is not like a Game of Thrones where I'm going to see women just be hurt over and over and over. Like, I'm so tired of seeing that in films. Like, it just feels cheap. And it feels like very smart directing to not show any of it, but you still have every bit of tension in there and you're so scared and you're just moving through a hallway. That's all you're doing. And I'm really glad you brought up the point of women opening up to women because that is a real thing. I've had, like when I was a teacher, I had so many younger women come to me and talk to me and open up to me about things and like even complain about a lot of their male teachers. And it is a thing, like we are way more comfortable with each other and opening up. And this film really captures that without just beating you over the head at all. I also was just really, you know, impressed by the fact that Maria Schrader knew that there is power in not showing things. And I, you know, I I like to liken this to another film this year, uh, Women Talking, which also knows that you do not need to show the violence to get the gut punch of what has occurred to these women. Like, you don't need to see the visual to understand the 
importance and and to you know have it have its narrative place in the story and i think particularly the way that maria schreider does it in this with you know having the audio of these women describing their stories while we sort of see the setting in which it took place i think really also highlights that these are spaces in which women should be able to feel safe you know uh these that we're not talking about assault in a dark alleyway or something like we're in hotel rooms and offices and hotel hallways and places that women should not have. Now, obviously women shouldn't have to deal with this anywhere, but places that women should be able to take for granted as being safe. Uh, and I think that that made it so much more impactful also because you sort of weren't having to deal with any, um, I feel like sometimes whenever they show assault in a movie, it kind of takes me out of the film because I'm reacting to seeing that instead of sort of just going along with the story and I feel like it really helps that we don't see that and I think that that's something to be said for female directors because you know I don't want to generalize there are male directors who know how to handle this sort of thing but often it's female directors who know that they don't need to show it or they don't need to show it in a graphic way um you know I think like the woman king also dealt really well with it earlier this year in that you get sort of little flashes of the assault that is being looked back upon um but you don't actually have to sort of watch the whole thing occur and I think that that's such a smarter way to deal with it also because I think that what male directors sometimes don't realize is that showing full assault scenes alienates a part of your potential audience um, and can often keep people from going to see it. Uh, and especially with a film like She Said, you want as many people as possible to be watching this movie. And so you don't want to cut out an important part of that audience. You want it to be something that other victims of sexual assault can you know watch comfortably obviously like it it's you know dealing with a subject that could be triggering but you know if people know that going in and obviously with a film like this they do then I think that you know it's it's comfortable enough and it's sensitive enough that those people can watch it and um you know find some some comfort maybe in sort of seeing how these women are dealt with so respectfully in it and so thoughtfully I also, think one I'm of gonna, the oh go ahead Morgan sorry Chelsea <laughs> one of the things that as Nicole you were talking um, that had had me kind of reflect on is you know we have this story about this pervasive abuse come out again only five years after the article broke the story and it you know we're talking so much about how we're tactfully handling these truths for women while also not shying away from them. And it's very interesting that it's coming out at a time now where cancel culture is kind of the buzz term for men who have to be held accountable um, because they're not being canceled. They're going to Rihanna fashion shows and they are making movies in Europe. They are getting to tell right-wing comedy at you know, any um, club that'll have them when there were real women like Sandra Locke, whose entire career was derailed because of a man, um, like Maria Schneider, whose own assault was used in a film and the two men who orchestrated it got to have long careers. 
And so it's very interesting in this space being able to talk about it because these have been conversations that people have had for a very long time. You know, I remember Anna Kendrick talking about telling men about the scene in The Last Tango in Paris. And they're like, oh, that's ridiculous. Why would that happen? And then after this story broke, how all of these men were like, can you believe that that happened? And she's like, no shit. I've been telling people this for over a decade. I remember yeah. that because mm-hmm. what's his name? Robert Pattinson was talking about how much he loved it on a Twilight press tour, always mm-hmm. bringing it back to culture. And Anna Kendrick just being like, well, did you know? Like, I, you can go on YouTube and find those clips. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, even Chris Evans, after someone mentioned it, um, when Bertolucci died, she was like, I probably told you this a long time ago. Um Pilgrim. Yeah. So, so, you know, as we're talking about these women who have had this experience, I'm also thinking about the fact that we have women like Carrie Mulligan, who've been in the industry for a really long time. You have Patricia Clarkson, who recently had um, told uh, reporters that while she was never physically assaulted by Weinstein, that she was bullied by him quite frequently. Um, you know, you have Zoe Kazan, who is probably one of the most open working moms in Hollywood who talks about the sacrifices that she makes as well as elevating the people who make um, her career happen. And so you can't help but kind of sit there and also wonder what these women have experienced um, and what they're bringing to those performances as they are having to also hold space and trauma for other women as well. So there's there's just so many layers to this. And even kind of Zoe mentioned the fact that there, you know, we think of it as happening just in the workplace and we should just look at the workplace when these things seep into our lives everywhere. They probably ride the subway. Do you know what people do on the subway? What men will do to women on the subway? They walk in a busy street. They have to travel. Where are these things taking place? And how often are women at risk just by existing in spaces? I think this movie also really does a good job of like showing that. Like there are scenes where it like highlights them being alone on a street or alone and like traveling or just like anywhere they're really going. Like when she's waiting for someone at a lunch like she doesn't know who's going to show up especially because those are framed after like the real call with Gwyneth Paltrow where she was interviewing with them and he showed up to her house and I think it was the Hamptons um and like kind of made it aware like he knows what she's doing and I think that um that and it goes further into their experience that we we will never know because they don't owe us anything to share whether or not anything has happened to them. But just like all of them have been really upfront that they're all working moms. And I could feel every minute of that in this movie, especially I don't want to like shit on another movie, but watching the sun, I literally texted Nicole after I don't think anyone involved with this movie has a child. Um, the sun's like, not a movie. What are you talking about? It's not a movie. It is it's not a movie movie. I'm sorry, Harry. Um, but it 
this movie, there are not only a million baby products I have like presently and used when I had my child, but like shout out to Sophie the giraffe. Um, but it's just the way they go about so many things in this movie is like she makes time to zoom her daughter when she's overseas interviewing. She they show them coming home at night and in bed and they're distracted. Like this is one of the first journalism movies I've seen in so long where it really highlights how journalism has changed because stories can break overnight. You can get anything. There are so many scenes in this movie where they're both in bed getting phone calls. And it kind of shows that there's no off for any of these kind of stories or any news really that it's always going on and that they really took all of this home with them and for me the one of the more jarring scenes of the whole film had nothing to do with the actual victims it was when her daughter asked her what rape meant I felt my entire body like leave like I was it is so disturbing and it's something I'm sure not even parents but people who dream about having children one day worry about that kind of conversation and it was just like there's many interviews with both um Cantor and Tui and Mulligan and Kazan talking about they worried about having this conversation with their children. And I think the movie does a really good job of showing the importance of the work they were doing and also how they had to balance it at home. And not even just with their children, like with their partners, because everybody kind of knows, even if you just have a roommate or something, it is so hard to like have so much going on and then come home and have to like socialize and it's just like what most of us do at work is nowhere near doing something like this and I remember reading a really great quote from um Megan Tui about she at one point realized like this is good like once they knew they were going to publish it it wasn't just like something they were hoping for that she realized she could tell her daughter like this could actually like change something and make the world a better place for you and I think the movie even though, like um, Morgan's saying, like we have people like Johnny Depp who are flourishing, flourishing. Um, you, there are still some moments that we get as wins, and I think this movie does a really good job of like highlighting these were wins, and it really did start something or and like shine brighter of a movement that already existed. But it's just like. It's so frustrating once you like kind of walk away from the movie and you open your phone and you see Johnny Depp and Rihanna's fashion show or like Louis C.K. selling out. Like it's just infuriating. But I do think this movie does a really good job of framing it as a win at the time. Specifically, the Ashley Judd involvement is like... I, I heard about her being in it when it premiered at the New York Film Festival and I was a little disappointed when I like, heard about that. But when it pans out of the Zoom call, like when she's on Zoom, I was like, oh, it's just Zoom. And then when it panned out and it was really her, I was I was, I was stunned. I, I think that's like the biggest seal of approval for me. And when people are criticizing this movie that we don't need it, like what is this doing to the victims of the movement? And while I'm sure not every victim and every source has given its approval but I've read numerous interviews with many of the sources from the original article and the article that came out like a week after the original article with more sources um not only complimenting the movie but like saying I was really involved with portraying 
this on screen. And I think that like really speaks volumes to what Maria Schrader was doing here, that she did want to make a movie about these two reporters and the case coming out. But she also really honored the victims. It always felt really respectful. It always felt like she was trying to do more right by them and not just look at them as names that would come forward, but like women who really went through something and really went through something trying to work up the courage to share these stories on the record. And I think this movie does one of the best jobs of any journalism movie of like the weight of going on the record and what it can do, not only to you as a person, but like your career, your how it affects your children. The scenes with Jennifer Ellie are just so hard to watch. And it's like so beautifully done. And her performance, I'm really sad that she probably won't get a lot of flowers for this performance because of the way that they have put Carrie Mulligan in supporting. But she is just... Everyone was talking about Samantha Morton, and I understand. Like, I love Samantha Morton in this movie. But Jennifer Lee seems like it's... There are just so many, like, beautiful moments that I don't feel like you see from actors very often. It's very comforting, but at the same time, so horrifyingly depressing. And it's just all-encompassing and I feel like she's really showing every emotion possible but it's not a big performance which is what I really appreciate so much that it's very tender and soft and it is not Michelle Williams and the Fablemans like wah but I I love her so much in this film. One of the things you hit at that I think is most important in this discourse right now is the whole, do why do we need this movie? Or do we need this movie? Complaint, which comes a lot of times from male critics. Um, and like you said, like you walk out of the theater and you still see these same men thriving today or getting second chances or getting rehabilitated. And it's like a lot has changed and there are a lot of new policies in place really to protect women but we're not out of the clear yet. And we're still very much at the beginning of this story and reminding people of how bad it was and how bad it still is in some cases is important to keep that energy and that passion alive to continue to push for more. And it really frustrates me when the film has this really understated and honest approach to its storytelling that I think we've all praised immensely here and it's still written off by some as most women's stories are as this like woke screed or oh of course it you know it's like a feminist film again and there's always those like negative connotations with that term and it always that also always comes from men and it frustrates me because we're asked to take the perspective of men in literally like every other movie that has ever been made in Hollywood history and we're asking them to follow us on this one story that is so plainly told and just honest and empathetic the whole way through. It is very rarely political aside from giving you the basic facts of what was done and what is still being done to women. And they, they can't even do the bare minimum. And that's just so frustrating to me today with not only the power structures in the industry, but also in film criticism, because when you aren't prioritizing female voices the way that they were prioritized on set I think you're missing a lot of the intricacies of what makes the story so successful and why she said is such an important film yeah like just looking at people who finally saw it this weekend and seeing how so many men in particular are disregarding the first act of the film 
and saying, oh, it wasn't good until that got over. And I'm like, so you don't care about the lives of the journalists and the perspective they're actually bringing to the investigation, like what they're actually going through. You don't care about that. You don't care about the and Ashley Judd credit, which I personally love. But like, if you don't care about what's happening in the lives of these people, just go away. I don't want you watching this movie at this point because that's what made it important when you brought up the Jennifer Ely stuff. That was my other favorite thing about the movie is we spend so much time with the victims outside of the journalists interviewing them. Like we see what their lives are. We see Jennifer's life with her kids and stuff and what ultimately makes her go on the record. And I think that is way more powerful than I love Spotlight top five film the year it came out. We did not spend time with those victims. I could not tell you a single name like I could tell you everything about Rachel McAdams and every terrible thing Mark Ruffalo was doing in that movie but oh my goodness whenever there are like such intimate details the little giraffe you brought up I'm like I know that giraffe that's what made this film so specific and hit so so hard I don't know if you heard about this but um both Jodi and Megan opened up their closets they helped build the apartments that were shown because and my friend who lives in New York and writes, she messaged me after she saw it being like, this is the first time I've seen a reporter's apartment that looks like a reporter's apartment. And I was like, those are things that people who are in that industry are going to watch and respect the movie for because it's it's not pulling like a I'm sorry, a Carrie Bradshaw. How does she have this apartment? It makes no sense. Like, it's like. It's grounded in reality and it also, which helps transport you to this time period and like their set mindset. But it's also like the little details like the giraffe and like just there's just so many things like that where it's like, like them walking to work, like they are just walking to work. It's shown multiple times and I'm like, it shows them as real people, but it also shows all of the sources as real people. Like you spent, like you were saying, Charles, time with them to where you understand their motivations. And I think that is so much more important than just seeing people go on the record. And that's another thing with the Ashley Judd thing is that we all know she goes on the record in this story. Like we all know that going into this, but seeing her come to her realization of why she needs to do it is much more powerful than just seeing her go on the record. So when they get the call that she's going on the record, you feel just as emotional as they portray both like literally the entire newsroom at that point when it shows them being overcome with emotion that she said yes to go on the record I fully you're right there with them even though you knew it was coming like it's it's so important and I loved all those moments with Jennifer Ely and her kids when they're just like on the couch watching tv but it's like or when the kids are crying and cutting vegetables at a table I'm like you're spending this would be cut out of any other movie and I'm like no this is very important to what is happening right now it's it's true and I really do believe that's only a female director's touch is that she wants you to be enrooted in all of their lives regardless if they're the main character or not I think that's another thing that really works with this movie so well is I feel like she kind of treats all of them like main characters like I they all feel like at some point they have not just a plot device but they're like part of the story and you're not just like meeting random people or whatever like um I can't think of the person he's portraying um um 
Oh, what's the actor's name? I've got IMDb here. Andre Brower. Oh, Dean, what's it? Backhead? Backhead? But- Whatever. But he had a real relationship, like professional relationship with Harvey Weinstein just because of his ties to the entertainment industry. And I feel like they did such a great job of showing that relationship and how he was brisk with him, but he was polite with him because like you had to be if you were reporting on the entertainment news, like you couldn't at that time blackball him out of. And that was like another thing that goes back to what Morgan was saying is that it's like this was Hollywood's best, like, worst kept secret, essentially. Like, they were, wrote, there's a whole Harvey Weinstein character, an entourage. Like, Jennifer it, Lawrence literally makes a joke about him killing people. And we're like, well, yeah, he probably did. Yeah, like, we all just like, uh, like, it's, and it's something that it's like you were saying where you see Trump get elected and you're like, well, there were all these women on the record. Like, at what point does this really matter? And this was the only time I can really feel like we did get something done. Like he did get booted out of his position and he is not making movies somewhere else. He is not doing this elsewhere. Whereas you look at like Roman Polanski and like he's just doing the same thing overseas. Like he might not be as famous as he once was, but like he is somewhere else. And it's like because we didn't do anything really. And it's just like, this is the only person that I feel like we can actively say, like, this worked, like, we did something, like, he is in jail, he's facing more charges, and it's just, like, that's the only time I feel like, well, I truly believe that it'll probably be the only time we'll ever get to say that, because I do feel like people get off and just go somewhere else and get another chance, and it's, like, we were talking about this with, um, what movie was I talking about this with? Oh, Tar, that like cancel culture isn't real. That cancel culture is just a verbiage we throw out and we're like, they're canceled, they're gone. But I like, I personally don't view the ending of Tar as like the way a lot of people do where they're like, oh, she's at rock bottom. Like, I just think she's starting over like Mm -hmm. elsewhere and she's on a new rise to a new type of power. And I think that is the real reality of cancel culture is that they're not canceled. They're just starting over essentially um yeah I was on a women in media panel like a month and a half ago and I was asked what do you think of all the me too movement and I'm like we got one person and they were done it's like whenever they gave Denzel the Oscar I'm like okay Halle Berry got her Oscar too when's the next time they're gonna award they're like we already did that they don't care like like oh oh we did that Uh or like Moonlight, oh, that's the gay movie. We did that. Bye. Yeah, and in reference to Harvey, I was really happy, too, that they gave him no real perspective in the film. Like, there was no, like, rebuttal from Harvey. I mean, he he tried, but he clearly looked buffoonish, um, as he actually was. And my, I think my favorite scene in the film, and my favorite scene from Carrie Mulligan, too, even though she has louder, bigger scenes, is that scene where Harvey surprises them at the New York Times. And she's like, I'll take this. And she's just so fearless. And she goes into that room and they're all like staring at her and they're all like screaming and he's throwing a tantrum and there's that slow push in and the score is building. And she's just sitting there stoically and silently looking between all of them. And then she lands on Harvey and she just has this like icy cold stare and she has everything that she's learned in her mind. And you just 
feel it. I was just like, she's so powerful in that moment because there's nothing he can say or do that will stop him, stop her. Yeah, that's my favorite moment of the movie too. She is able to communicate so much with just a look. And I feel like all women know that look where you know you can't speak reason to someone around you and you're never going to win regardless of the fact that you have better information or more correct information. And it's like, he always uses his size as an intimidation and she is not intimidated by him whatsoever. And it's so powerful. And I, I, it's so frustrating that I was like, this should be her clip, you know, like this is the best part of like her performance is like, she was able to personify her in such a powerful way without using anything. But while we're talking, I don't know the best way to bring this up, but somebody respected in the awards punditry um, conversation had something awful to say about this movie that kind of goes further into what we're talking about, that um, the effects of this are not what we need. But- Do you just want to bleep his name out and then I'll say it because I don't give a shit? I'm So it's Scott Feinberg so- from... Uh, the Hollywood Reporter. You mean so, the guy that blocked me on Twitter? Yes. Well, I'm waiting for him to block me because fuck this guy <laughs> so hard. Okay. So, you know, Variety is reporting that the Harvey Weinstein investigation film, she said, um, had one of the worst debuts in history for a major studio release, which um, I can bet I that mean, there's... LOL, pandemic, sure. Yeah, I mean, pandemic and... Uh, who's been talking about this film, not women. Um, Anyway, so uh, Scott Feinberg proudly said, you know who would have handled the rollout of this movie very differently? Were he not featured in it and incarcerated? That's right. Someone had the audacity to insinuate that if Harvey Weinstein was still working in Hollywood, that he would have tactfully released a film about pervasive sexual assault and rape in Hollywood. So, anyways, uh, fuck Scott Feinberg and anyone who agrees it. with it. He just deleted it. Do you well, have a good screenshot? Thing, I Take have a screenshot. motherfucking a screen- screenshot. Yeah, I a screenshot. Yeah. I, he's blocked me, so I couldn't see it. Don't I worry. I thought he blocked me, but he deleted it. Well, good thing I have a screenshot as well as a screenshot of uh, me calling him both repugnant and repulsive, which I'm sure are really big words for that dipshit. I I'm gonna fight that him. Guy. I'm gonna be mm-hmm. Carrie Mulligan in the bar fighting this yes. man. Yeah, I am Carrie Morgan as Zoe. This is our dynamic. This is true. that tracks. <laughs> I just was Morgan little, is reasonable. I was a little shook that um we're like talking about how this didn't do anything while yeah. he tweets that while we're talking. Yeah, um, bullying. Somebody works. fling me into the sun. <laughs> bullying works. We 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 got one tweet deleted. Now the rest. Of um. Well, that that's not where it's gonna stop because. As we've learned from the great Jody Cantor and Megan Toohey, is that just holding someone accountable for one instance is not going to stop a systemic pattern of abuse. And we know that there are men, not just Scott, there are multiple Scots in the industry, sometimes literally named Scott, who feel entitled to share their garbage opinions about things that they don't know anything about. So maybe this can be a catalyst for them to learn silence 
This is truly the promising young woman where if a man talks about this film, I feel like they're really telling on themselves. Mm-hmm. Well, especially because this is the same critic that retweeted negative reviews of women talking because he didn't like it. So, you know, yeah. everybody who doesn't is right. And everybody who does. It's also is- the same guy that was being very racist to Stacey Abrams recently. Woo! I miss so much of this. <laughs> Sometimes men just tell on themselves. It's truly like there's two reactions I feel like men can have to a movie like this. And which reaction they have is very telling. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's it's a wild time to be Well, we internet. know which gender is probably writing those headlines about on Variety about the box office of this film. It's because really, there's more than one. It's it's like, um, I can't remember what the other movie was, where they just kept tweeting that it was doing so poorly. And I was like, it's really not, even if this movie is doing poorly, which it's not doing great, but I have a lot to say about that. Um, it's just like, you, you're you not using this language about any other film and its performance at the box office. So why are you talking about this specific film like this? And it's the same thing that everybody said once this movie got decent reviews is that they can't really shut it out at the Oscars because of the optics of it. And I'm like, okay, well, you're kind of showing your hand here by using this language about its box office performance in only this film. Like, it, like they did this with The Woman King and they did it with Don't Worry Darling. And both of them actually did pretty decent their opening weekends. And I remember Variety specifically, both films. It was like, look at this mediocre turnout. And I was like, don't worry darling made its budget the first weekend worldwide so like why are you saying it bombed like just say you don't like female directors like that's probably yeah, i'm looking easier. at it now they said that it was disappointing numbers for the woman king the film has made 92 million dollars y'all which like that movie aside from being a black female cast made by a black woman is like a very 90s kind of movie that I was like, is it going to do well just in general? Like if there's not like blue people and like superheroes, it also I'm always like. has a budget of 50 million. So it's almost doubled its budget. Like that's successful, baby. That's success. Very, yeah, like, great reviews. But people are like, well, maybe Viola well, can get in. And- so, you know, tell your hand. So <laughs> the Woman King and Top Gun Maverick are the only two that got an A plus cinema score, I think. Right? Yeah. And this has and an A. Cinema this has score. an A. Mm-hmm. Like that's kind of shocking, given its subject matter, that it was yeah. able to pull that off. And you know what it is? It's women who really care about this story and the sources and the reporters creating this film. They did it so in a way where. I truly believe, and I say this myself as a sexual assault survivor, I was able to watch this movie and not feel, I mean, obviously you feel uncomfortable, but I didn't feel triggered. I didn't feel like I have to get out of here. And I don't think that happens very often with movies about this subject matter. And they pulled it off. And, you know, it's it's truly because there was empathy and there was understanding and there was support. And that doesn't happen very often on sets for films like this. And... I like I felt really safe watching it and I feel the way they've all talked about their experience making this movie they all felt really safe and I think that comes through when you're watching it because I never felt triggered and like I was a little nervous when I heard about the postpartum depression because I had really bad postpartum depression 
And I think it was not only very accurate in its portrayal, but it was like, it wasn't showing it to be like, ooh, look at postpartum. It was showing like this really happens to people and then they're expected to go right back to work and it's not treated the same way as anything else that can happen to you physically after birth. Like it is treated like, cheer up their buddy like it's not treated anywhere near like the physical aspects of giving birth even though it's the exact same and the way that everyone involved has spoken really candidly about that including Carrie Mulligan which I can't imagine as an actor or someone of prominent fame sharing that but the way she did has been really impressive and I do feel like that might be lost on men because I've seen a lot of men being like oh she just went back to work and then it was gone and I'm like It's literally there the whole time. Like, she is literally, there are multiple moments where Patricia Clarkson is like, are you okay? And I'm like, because... It's literally on her face. Any sort of hesitation or whenever she's shaking herself out of a moment, it's like, yeah, she's trying to get her head in. Is it because she's not, like, like, saying, I have, like, does she need a sticker? Like, I have postpartum right now. It's It's happening. No, it's because you go back to work. You're expected to just work. You're not expected to be, like, I'm really struggling. It's the same thing with any type of depression where you're not allowed to be like, I need a minute. And, I'm mm-hmm. feeling it. Like, And also a lot of women find that like their postpartum depression like eases up a bit as they're just able to be out and around other adults. It's literally <laughs> the moment you can have a conversation that is not centered around the baby that you start to feel mm-hmm. yourself pull out of it. The problem is that a lot of people have postpartum when they're on maternity leave and they Mm -hmm. don't get to socialize that often. It's the same thing for me. My husband went back to work before me and I was like alone all the time. And that was when it got really bad for me was because I was the second he wasn't able to stay home with me anymore. I was alone with the baby for nine, 10 hours a day. And I was like, when she was asleep, you're, you just like really get into it. And it's like Nicole saying, it's those moments when you go back to work an adult talks to you and it isn't like talking to you about diaper cream or something. You're having a real conversation. And I do think it's the same thing with any type of depression. And I feel like a lot of people can relate to that where when you're isolated and then these women are working on something depressing in itself that can really like trigger any sort of depression from coming back. And it's like they had the weight of the world on their shoulders. And I think once they knew they could publish, they felt a little relief. And one of my favorite moments of the film is when they're all around the computer and they're reading the screen and they're like, okay, it's good. And the mouse is like hovering over a publish and they're like, let's just read it one more time. I love it so much because it's so true. And it's even when you send like a risky text that you have like drafted, mm-hmm. you're like, let me look at it one more time before I push send. It just felt really me real. writing every email of my life. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> I it just felt so real. And like it felt like they really were like, okay, we know the weight of this. We have to make sure it's perfect before it really goes out. And I really loved that detail of the film. As a nationally certified counselor, which I just found out that I was, even though I passed a test five years ago, um, I have to say one of the things about the postpartum depression that is tackled in this film that we don't see very often is I think that one of the things that we only characterize it as is like, it's having the blues after having a baby, which that's not even 
characteristically postpartum depression. Like everyone has what they call the baby blues because all of these great hormones have just decided to peace out of your body. Um, But at one point, Carrie Mulligan says, I just have this feeling of dread. And I think that that really articulates something that isn't discussed when it comes to postpartum depression, because it's not, it is kind of a mixture of, uh, you know, you're kind of going stir crazy because all people want to talk about is your baby and you completely lost your identity as a human person. Um, It is the baby blues that are very natural. It is kind of the guilt of not feeling as happy as everyone else. Um, But then there is kind of like um, a mixture that you can have both postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety. And people don't talk about postpartum anxiety at all, that those are two things that can go hand in hand. And that dread is very much a part of it. And I think that that as someone who has never birth to human um, was really powerful to show how normal it was, as well as Zoe Kazan later saying that she experienced that herself. Um, You know, Jodi has two daughters and she said she had that experience after her first. Um, And I think it kind of highlights throughout the film, the very shared experiences that women have that they don't always have to look exactly the same because not all women are the same. Um, But, you know, we have a character who is fighting breast cancer and literally anyone can get breast cancer, but it is so very frequently associated with women. Um, Assault can happen to anyone, but it is so much more seen with women. And um, I think it's really beautiful to be able to see all of those intricacies of Things don't have to look the same in order for us to understand that experience with our own lived experience. Nailed it. Yeah, I like the way she spoke about it really like made me so emotional because I do feel like you don't see that portrayed a lot in any sort of media. Like I always get such anxiety about um there's like a the Grey's Anatomy spinoff episode show there's like an episode where one of them has postpartum anxiety and like she just tries to stab her child and I'm like why is this the way we're portraying this like it's not like that and it's exactly the way it's portrayed here and the way she speaks about it and I think like you can tell they all brought their own personal experiences to it because it is like Morgan saying where it's it's the same thing with motherhood that it's different for every single person and they do such a great job of showing how they're both moms in such different ways but they also have these shared experiences and the way they're able to tie that together is so amazing and I just really respect them for including it and I'm sorry that for some men it bothered them and took them out of the movie because it showed them as people fully developed and not just reporters who are in the office because this movie shows them in the office late at night and people yelling at them like Patricia Kirkson like go home it's whatever like midnight or whatever but because it's like they did have these expectations of work but it shows them at the same time like trying to find time for their families in a way that like I don't feel like I feel like all the president's men kind of paints them as like reporter superheroes. Like they, there's like a scene I'm thankful for where he's shirtless, but that is like, 
Like he's never like at home or like, like he's always like in the office. And I think that another really cool thing we haven't even touched on is that the New York Times let them film in the New York Times building. And that's never been done for like a feature film. And that is so insane. And that just shows you with Ashley Judd's involvement and the New York Times involvement that this film like really from all aspects had a stamp of approval that I feel like a lot of adaptations of real investigative journalism doesn't always have and it's like I feel like that's why this movie works so well is that you can tell not only were people involved that were really intrigated in the story but like it was women making the story come to the screen and it felt like it was made with such empathy but also like they really wanted the story told correctly and it wasn't just like rushed out like I see a lot of people saying it came out too soon and I'm like I think it's kind of showing us like look what they did we didn't really change that much like we pinned it all on one person and it's just like really staggering and hard to think about but I do think it's like really well communicated in this film that it's not just him that it was the system and like we were talking about that like everybody knew but we just couldn't get it to papering out because of his reach and it's very similar to so many other well-established men with different kinds of abuse in the workplace and in their religions and I really am thankful for the timing of this film I also feel like because I feel as we progress forward people are really forgetting about all of the things that came out specifically and like I know that we remember like the big names, but I think like something for me is that this movie shows it wasn't just about like Ashley Judd or Gwyneth Paltrow. Like it was about assistants. It was about receptionists. It was like he literally went through the entire Weinstein company and every aspect and any position that any woman held, he targeted them just because they were a woman. And I think that is really important when discussing workplace abuse and any kind of abuse um, is that it has nothing to do with your appearance. It has nothing to do with what you're wearing. It is very much just that you're a woman and you're there and that he would get them into these situations. And I remember like hearing about the hotel rooms and it's just so mortifying, but the, the tape, the recording of him trying to get, um, that's like a real tape because the police department like had it done that I've heard before, but it was just like so jarring to hear it in a movie theater and the way it's filmed. It's just so like, I don't think men will ever understand the situation that any of these women were in where it was like their career was on the line. They truly didn't know what to do because of his position. And I do feel like, like Lex was talking about this earlier, that like, if you weren't interested or in the entertainment industry, you didn't really know who Harvey was or like the pool he had. But I feel like this movie does a good job of kind of like explaining it because it goes through the women's stories in a way where it kind of explains like why they needed to like obey him in a sense. And I feel like, um, especially when they're leading up to Renoa's story because we don't really see her until the end but the scene with her husband is really hard to watch like I was kind of like watching through my fingers I didn't want her to keep talking it was making me so uncomfortable but I feel like that like it shows you like how secretive people are about abuse and because they don't know how to talk about it and I 
really think it shows like both the reporter side of not wanting to talk about it and also a victim not trying to come open about it even with her husband was so interesting to show on screen well it kind of goes to the jennifer ely quote um where she said it was like he took my voice that day just when i was about to start finding it and i think that that's very telling about the way that the abuse was able to remain so pervasive is that he bought silence um so many of those women were basically told by lawyers that their best outcome was to agree to a settlement, which included an NDA. Um, I know for a fact that even if you haven't been assaulted, um, most production companies are still going to have you sign NDAs. So, you know, the way that they allow abuse to remain is by ensuring that silence is the loudest form of communication. And I, I just, I really loved that line and i think the the way that especially women are taught to keep silent um that maybe they talk amongst themselves but more often than not we are trained that silence is a tool for us even though it actually is something that we um it's an internalized weapon um, that men have given us. So I, I find that just really a profound part to this film too. Yeah, I think it was really fascinating how it's framed around working women, which we've all touched upon, because I know a lot of people that I told them they should go see this movie. And they were like, why would I want to see a movie about the entertainment industry? And I said, that's not what the movie is about. Like, it's about the story. Um, and I think like once you move past that, and kind of focus on like me I'm tw- I'm in my 20 early 20s and like all these retellings they had in the movie it was like when I was 20 when I was 21 and I literally sat in the theater like what would I do if that was my workplace situation like how do you maneuver your way out and it's just and I think that's where it really hits you as like a young person or even just like you're in your work setting and that's taking place and even just they like the NDAs like they weren't allowed to consult doctors or therapists or lawyers and they have to go 20 years of their life like holding on to this and like not being able to tell anyone and not getting the proper treatment or help to learn how to deal with this and like that was so I don't know like I I never cried during movies but like I started like tearing up and just getting really emotional because it's like oh my it's like the reality of the situation um and I think that was so powerful about like having the voices of these women that were not you know in the original stories like everyone was really focused on like what Angelina Jolie said and what Gwyneth Paltrow said and like yes they were affected but like what about these women that like were never able to build on from that um I don't know just like that that really struck me and I keep telling everyone it's like you need to go see this movie it's like so much more than about you know Hollywood because the original story is like they're going to do abusive workplaces and one of them just so happened to be the Weinstein company and then it opens up this whole thing but like those sequence the Samantha Morton sequence drinking that glass of water still in my mind and like ugh so much but 
Yeah, what? I love that it was the assistants and the interns who got the primary focus here. Like, yeah. obviously, there's Rose McGowan and Gwyneth Paltrow and Ashley Judd, of course. But it, the main voices we hear from consistently are those women who have a lot less protection and in many cases are just getting their start in the industry. And these are not the stories I've heard. You know, I don't think these are the stories many people have heard because they're not the flashy names. They're not the people who get put on the time cover, you know, at the end of that year. And so I think that also makes the film feel more significant because it's shining a light on the people whose stories don't receive the front page headlines and who are so easily brushed aside. And I wanted to jump back to to one thing you said earlier, Kenzie, is that, um, you know, obviously I think a lot of people come to movies like this and women talking about the subject matter with some of our own, you know, hurtful history and things that we've been through. And that was something that was like, very anxiety inducing for me watching both these films kind of like back to back and like the span of a week but I think that they also inject levity and humor in very unique ways because there's like a lot to laugh about in both this and women talking and I was very surprised by that um in spite of everything that's going on and what the story is centrally about I felt that it was really true to life and how we process events like this is that we're not just grieving nonstop you know there are those pockets of joy or there's those moments of emotional release in which you do get to have a laugh or take a breather and I think that really made the movie feel more emotionally balanced for me and more realistic it was not just hitting me over the head the entire runtime with you know how grueling and bad this was they're they're normal people they experience every emotion and I think that more films that deal with serious subject matter like that should pay attention to what Maria Schrader and Rebecca Lankwitz and this entire crew did. I completely agree. And it kind of goes back to what Jillian was saying about like, I was like not crying and then I was. And I feel like because this and women talking both slowly build and they both have these moments of relief throughout the film. And then when it hits you, you don't realize you're crying. I unfortunately saw this on a Friday and some women talking on a Saturday and did not have a dry eye for days on end but this movie like I I was like anxious going into it because I was obviously like interested in the film and what it, I was going to watch but I was also like uncomfortable with it and I'm really happy that I was able to tell a lot of my friends and just like co-workers like it's not hard to watch like I think it's an important watch but I don't think it's like an excruciating watch which I think a lot of us were like nervous about but I do think it goes back to what literally all of us have been saying is like if you have a story like this and you let women be behind in front and producing this film that it really will shine and I also just want to say I am really tired of the people who are primarily saying don't watch this movie because brad pitt produced it like do not put all of the work of this woman i'm gonna go off real quick because all the brad pitt allegations and stuff did not come out until within the past year and a half two years he has had the rights his company that he owns has had the rights for over four years to this book before it was even published so he is on there because he is the figurehead of a company and he is just now dealing with allegations i hope people know how long movies take to get made yeah it like, takes for freaking ever it did not start getting made as soon as like they couldn't back out at that point like come on but it's just like unfair to be like to pinpoint 
female directed movies that are stories about women for women like with women behind and in front of the camera and it's like those are the movies you're like well brad pitt produced this don't watch it like please don't do that to these filmmakers it's like how steven spielberg has his name on 20 different things but do you actually think he showed up to the set of smash to Mm -hmm. watch it be filmed and get input (laughs) do you think that he showed up on the twilight zone when john landis you know murdered people murdered three people um do you think that it's a coincidence that when women have films released if there is one possible um garbage human on their production that we try to have their film derailed while men can have as many horrible people on their movies and we I find mean, excuses go look for that. at who's nominated for Grammys. It's like Dave Chappelle mm-hmm. and Louis C.K. I am not even kidding. I will say at my women talking screening when the Plan B, um, what's it called, the logo, eruption of applause from everybody in the room, and I was like, okay. I do think with like guild screenings, it'll be mostly for Dee Dee, just because like everything Dee Dee's achieved is just outstanding uh, he is a star the kind of yeah the person who actually did the work you know yeah yeah they... like brad pitt did not even get a pga mark he's not getting nominations for this he was not as intimately involved he was as just involved. an executive producer he was very yeah. busy digging for gold yeah he's you know working he, a yeah. lot yeah that's what he has a pga mark on he has pga this, for blonde not women talking. Not this, not women talking. Yeah. that's his movie yeah. I mean, Babylon is three hours long, so he was probably working for multiple years on that. Yeah. That's actually a documentary. They just followed him for several years. I'm killing Nicole. <laughs> Nobody can see this. Shout out to the woman. Charles is delightful. <laughs> shout out to the woman who, after the Babylon trailer played, she went, okay. That was my husband yesterday. I was trying to gauge him <laughs> on every trailer because he doesn't watch trailers. So we saw Bones and all, and they showed like they showed the Ant Man trailer, and I was like, "What if I was an Ant Man person? Like, what if I took you to see Ant Man?" And he was like, "I would be mad." But then when we left Bones and all, he told me he would have rather watched Ant Man. <laughs> I'm just thinking about you going to the theater to watch Ant Man. <laughs> when I saw that trailer the first time. And Michelle Pfeiffer was in it. I was like, what is... I literally texted What yeah. is going on? She's trying to keep her SAG health insurance. It's really bad these days, y'all. It I is. need someone to explain. Oh, please say Carrie Mulligan's not in the MCU. Not yet. Not, not yet. Don't say not yet. yet. <laughs> They're casting. I know. It was so funny when you tweeted about Michelle Pfeiffer because then we were all like, this is actually her second film in the end. <laughs> Everyone collected her. Oh, it's her fourth. I literally was like, Julia. She had no lines. In Endgame, she had no lines, but she was in it. She was at the funeral. She was at, yeah. Tony Stark, she was at Tony Stark's funeral. Yes. No, they had multiple yes, Academy yes. Award winners in that sequence with no lines. <laughs> and Marissa Wait. Tomei is the only one who realized what kind of scene it was. Yep. Tony Stark dies. Marissa Tomei. <laughs> yes, my um, wife. It's okay. She's what out is- of it now. She's free. yeah. No, she's no longer she with us, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> no character, not Marissa. No she- <laughs> Marissa Tomei, as far as I know, is final. I went pee during that scene of the Spidermans. Wait, oh, she's in Spider Man. Yeah, she's not May. Yeah, not anymore. 
I watched. I came back and she was well, dying. She still is. I'm like, okay, she's okay, dead. okay, sure. <laughs> that shows you how much I paid attention when I. Was sure she is Mona that. Lisa. Actually, she is the light of my life. She is the hottest person ever put to cinema. She's my favorite Oscar win ever. I'm not kidding. I love her and her beautiful, beautiful hair. She has mm-hmm. the best hair, like yeah. the best hair. Yeah. I love that we got off track to me talking about fucking Ant Man. Um, <laughs> I was just so angry. Like, what is this movie? Oh, I know. All Spy right. Kids. Spy Kids. Listen, I've already like talked about Spy Kids movie. enough today. It does look like Spy Kids. And it is literally Spy Kids 3D, but like bad. And it also has Bill Murray in it. And on okay, yeah, they they cut to him like for like 3D? two seconds in the trailer, and I was so confused. They also yeah. showed the women talking trailer, and I was like asking my husband, I was like, "Oh, what did you think of that trailer?" He was like, "It looks so boring," and I was like, "Great," <laughs> but he didn't say anything about the color grading. So I think that men have made this up. So. That's see, a discussion for another day. Talking. I'm going to return for that podcast because I am actually a real editor of movies and stuff, and I know what color grading is. Everyone's complaining about color grading, and I'm like, that's not what color grading is. Stop it. No, that's yeah, cinematography. Yeah. Stop it. We need to have a discussion about that because none of these film bros uh, have degrees in color grading, nor do they know the difference between <laughs> direction and cinematography. And I literally have three degrees like, in it, y'all. Three. Like... <laughs> I, I see what you look like. I see what you do. Like, please spare me. Like, come on. <laughs> I'm sorry. I really chose violence today. Again. <laughs> it's the theme of this episode. <laughs> the woman was too stunned to speak. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. All right. All right. So because we're Oscar Central, I have to ask, does anybody think the film has any Oscar prospects, whether or not they we think they'll happen or anything they deserve specifically? Zoe, our awards editor at We Live Entertainment, what do you think? So I currently have it predicted for three Oscars. Um, that is Best Picture, Best Adapted Screenplay and Best Supporting Actress for Carrie Mulligan. And these are for nominations. Thank you. Um, Yes, I do think that in a field of 10 in Best Picture, that something like this can still get in, even though, you know, I do think it's maybe the box office headlines might cloud it a little bit, but we're still very early on. We have not even gotten close into the industry having their say on all these films yet. And I do think that they will feel like they resonate with the story more because obviously it speaks directly to events they know very intimately. And I think it is very well done and honestly very crowd-pleasing in spite of some of the somber subject matter. Um, Adapted screenplay should be totally a slam dunk, I think, because that field is very weak this year. And this is a sensational script and based, again, on a story that everybody knows very well. And I think it was adapted incredibly. Um, and supporting actress is like the most chaotic acting category this year. So I feel like it could change my top five on any day. But I do think that Carrie Mulligan as a prior nominee and a big name who almost won two years ago and has a huge scene stealing show stopping role here that a lot of people walk away from calling their favorite or calling the MVP can definitely rise to the top. And I do think she has a path to win too, since there is no real front runner at the moment. And I can totally see people rallying around her because yeah, like I said, they are really familiar with her and she has a number of great scenes. So look, this is how Carrie Mulligan can still win. I, can still win. <laughs> I know. No bias, no bias. I do love Carrie Mulligan, <laughs> but I do still objectively think she's in a good place too. 
Yeah, I also I'm do the think, person though, who believes she is a supporting actress in this film because Zoe Kazan, like, easily is leading it. Carrie Mulligan got top billing because she's a two-time Oscar nominee, y'all. Mm-hmm. Also, I think she should win. I want the bar fight to be her Oscar clip, but it won't be. Yes. I, I love that. also think that she's someone that we've seen, like, like you said, she's a two-time nominee. She was nominated recently. She's clearly someone that resonates with the academy with her you know style of performance and everything i think that what she's doing here is so good and i think that you know there's zoe kazan although she would be totally deserving is not going to get in to best actress and i think that for a lot of us who believe that the film does have a good chance at getting into best picture especially you know year of 10 all of that um, I think it makes sense that it would have something with it other than adapted screenplay. And I think that supporting actress is one where there's a lot of like ambiguity right now about what's going to happen, especially because we have multiple films where there are multiple possible nominees for supporting actress. Like we still don't know if we're getting two talking women in or not, um, or if it will just be one. And I think that there's some spots there that are sort of up for grabs because there isn't really a consensus so i agree with you zoe that's sort of what i have it sitting for right now obviously in a perfect world it would also get in for director but unfortunately we do not live in a perfect director win director and editing and score like the score oh my goodness Brittell hype we're eating i i don't remember which male critic it was but one of them was like the score is not memorable and i was like speak for yourself i know who it was i know who it was speak for yourself (laughs) me that name i'm gonna pick a fight (laughs) it's one of the best scores of the year and it's honestly one of Brittell's best scores I think it's very personal it feels like integrated into the story where it's memorable but it's not distracting and I'm sorry if someone wanted something that was like succession levels of distracting but like well this is not an Adam McKay produced project I'm sorry god um but it it just like really transported me and I felt really like in the newsroom with them and I think the score really helped do that and I have listened to it nonstop since it came out on Friday along with so many other scores but I do think it's deserving I just think that this year for score it is like every possible composer you could know their name has multiple scores like it's really overwhelming and so I don't think it'll get in so I have the exact same predictions for nominations as of now which is picture adapted screenplay and supporting actress but I would love in a perfect world if this got two supporting actresses in whether it be Samantha Morton or Jennifer Lee like they're both I'm rooting for true supporting Bennett. performances and like I wish the academy would be brave again and nominate people in supporting categories that are like barely in movies because they're there to support them like I just wish we would get it It'd be hilarious if this category was like three women talking and two she said, or like three, like two women talking, two, two, two women she king. said, and then one woman king. That would be amazing. No, all I the, feel like all the movies that are primarily about women are all committing like the weirdest category fraud. Like, mm-hmm. can we just like take like get rid of all the male categories and just give say. it to the all women? women? Yes, and you we'll can have get an Brendan honorary- Fraser. Yeah. Honorary Brendan. 
there because you go. I love hey, him. He's created by sexual rights. One. Exactly. Yeah. We have two men we like. Mm-hmm. I really, yeah. We can give yeah. up all the other spots. Austin Butler can get like a newcomer award because I really. No, he know. can get a hottie award. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Unbuttoned shirt. That's another podcast. That's another, That's another podcast. podcast. That's yeah. another. The twin podcast entirely season. about the unbuttoned shirt. No, like. And- you we could literally do a Twinks of the Year podcast because we have Paul Mescal, Timothy Chalamet. Yeah. I do. I how old? I don't know how old Jeremy Pope is, but I'm going to put him in here. Mm-hmm. He, he seems in. young. He seems young. It is twenty. He's maybe. hot. It's fine. Yeah, I he, and his stylist deserves a raise because he's thirty. I looked it up. He's he's thirty. 30. Okay, yeah. Austin Miller's older. He's 31, right? Yeah. Yeah, he I was on Zoe that. 101, y'all. I remember yeah. he was on Zoe. Wait, Brittany. <laughs> I wish. Wait, Brittany could have met him? Yeah. Well, he, did. he was a background. Until he came season? during the Before. last season. Yeah. You know, we're not going to talk about Zoe 101. I can explain all the plot later. <laughs> My God. Okay. We'll give him the, the, but okay. So Timothy, Jeremy Pope, Paul Mescal, Austin Butler, Diego Calva. Mm. okay yeah Yeah. i would do this podcast with you like genuinely (laughs) genuinely no we're gonna do it like like we could do like a a draft draft. everyone like choose your fighter but it's choose your 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 (laughs) point we're gonna fight to the death over who gets i'm gonna trademark that I can't wait for the merch. <laughs> Morgan and I pick Winston Duke and his thighs. Those are two choices. <laughs> but he's too much man for like he's so <sighs> I yeah, wish... that's not mm-hmm. the twinks are not my they could never. He's... <laughs> the twinks that's are a, like... that's a man. That's it's a like man. Timothy Chalamet is the size of one of Winston Duke's <laughs> one of his thighs. thighs. <laughs> That's his whole torso. <laughs> it's like the calf on a thigh. <laughs> He's literally the calf. He's not even the thigh. He's the calf. That's amazing. Oh. This is a great end to um, our discussion <laughs> on women in film. I'm just kidding. No, representation matters. Rep- we need Represent- to speak on this. Yeah. You know what? Can I just segue for representation then to... I know that the best actress category is overcrowded with women doing very big decisions and choices but could we maybe start nominating women who make very introspective nuanced decisions and choices in their acting because zoe kazan has been doing that for her entire career um justice for ruby sparks um i just upon rewatch of this film was really struck by the way that she was able to hold other people's words and take you to that place and also comfort you as the viewer in holding that so this is just my plea to the powers that be um i can't i like margot robbie even i don't want to see babylon i don't have the adult diapers for it i don't have the patience for it i don't want to hear her do the same accent she's been using since wolf of wall street like yeah, I, who knew Harley Quinn was an accent in herself? I mean, she learned that was the only American accent that she knew. And she was like, everyone that I do is from the, the same Bronx. Area. They're um, really 
They're all related. It's the Margot Robbie (laughs) multiverse. The MCU. (laughs) Yes. Zoe Kazan, if we could have one nepotism baby succeed, can we have this one? Literally. Can we have this one who has to answer for the sins of her grandfather? Can we? Please. I think this is a theme. Yeah, a theme too between this film and also Women Talking because Rooney Mara is going lead there. And I honestly like Zoe Kazan and Rooney Mara more than a lot of kind of the other like top best actors contenders because they are doing subtle but stronger work I think like I walk away and I I'm still thinking about Rooney Mara's character in Woman Talking and the dreamer perspective she brings to that film and the balance she brings and here Zoe Kazan is such a great listener and that is such a hard trait to find in actors and especially when you want to be the star and you want to pull all attention to yourself and she really gives Samantha Morton or Jennifer Ely the the space in their scenes together to breathe and to live in this character. And that's a very hard skill to master. And Zoe Kazan makes it look so simple here. And I yeah, I really wish she was getting more awards attention to for this performance. Yeah, I love Michelle Williams, but I love the Michelle Williams of every other movie she's done. And The Fablemans just feels like, <laughs> The Fablemans is also my Babylon like enemy. I am gonna struggle you guys through some films. Oh I God. see it tomorrow with my mother, who famously, every time we've seen the Fablemans trailer before a film, has turned to me and said, I don't need to see that one. Um, <laughs> but I, I got three extra tickets could... to a screening, so we're going. Bring your mind. I really wish I could talk to your mom after you guys see it, because I'm queen of the Fablemans Didn't Work Club. But... Oh but I, I do also want to point out, I really love that Zoe Kazan is very committed to playing Jewish women on film and in TV. I was really, like, so taken aback that this film had um, not only a Hanukkah scene, but I'm a new mom who struggled with postpartum depression. And then my mom has survived breast cancer. So seeing all of these things in one movie, I was a puddle of tears at the end it was a bit much for me I was like please stop personally coming for me like what is next like I was just the way she is able to be the most professional person but have so much kindness and empathy you know empathy is like a lost art in itself like it really is we can all portray abuse in films it's very easy Tarantino's been doing it for 30 some odd years but come on like try to show empathy and she nails every single moment the thing for me that really was like really telling of all the work she was doing was that scene it's in the trailer where um she's having lunch with someone and they're like i don't want this on the record and she like immediately puts down her pen and she's like okay and she's like still actively listening because i don't think people understand how hard it is to portray listening and she does it so effortlessly to where I was like, I would love to open up to her about all of my problems. Like, I, it's just like, she's in every scene and not like stealing any moments from people. And I think that people confuse that with she's disappearing into the scene in a bad way. Whereas I'm like, she's making her character so real that she's just present in the moment without actively like, calling attention to herself and I feel like people get confused when there are people in the conversation giving performances that are like screaming looking at me like it's it's hard to mean Mark Ruffalo and Spotlight yes the overacting award to end the overacting category truly 
he yes. is the only person in that movie that I don't want in that movie. And yeah. I think he is very sexy. But yeah. that is besides but no. the point. <laughs> yeah, but no, also, I... Morgan is the Zoe Kazan of people in real life. Gotta prop her up because she is a champion and is a great listener. Yeah, and I, I think what you were saying, Kenzie, goes back to why it's so freaking frustrating that men still dominate awards, punditry, and film criticism in general because they're the voices that are acting like this performance is quote-unquote nothing, that she's not doing as much as she should or that she's quote-unquote disappearing into the film because you cannot physically bring yourself to take her perspective and see things from her character's point of view and understand what she's really intricately weaving into her portrayal of Jody Cantor. And it is, we do the stands every year. They're going to go for, you know, the big showboating, even if it, you know, doesn't really land emotionally, but that is, that is the awesome. And we're just not giving enough credit to the actual real life friendships Zoe Kazan and Carrie Mulligan have had for so long mm-hmm. that they've literally been sharing dressing rooms since the 2000 era in theater. And then like Zoe writing a movie and Carrie being in the movie, like this whole thing. So it's good. like, you can see that these people respect and love each other so much. Like when they hug in the movie, it was just like, I was, when they both wear the same outfit that is so cute I love that there was no competition between them like they were just fully like with one another from the very start of joining on this piece like it's so it's so refreshing like it's not like they're being pit against Mm -hmm. each other in the workplace like there's unity that does bring my one criticism Gwyneth should have just actually jutted herself and be cool for one time in her life and showed up in the movie beyond the voice memo she sent stopped sending or selling like $500 vagina candles mm-hmm. and get to work. Or it's vagina like, eggs. It's like nobody wants to work these days. Like, I don't understand what is going on. Quite that would have been so good if she, I was waiting. I knew she was going to show up, but I was like, what if she showed up when they went to her house? Like, what if she just surprised us? Do I, you think that Gwyneth even knows her voice is in this movie, or do you think somebody recorded no. the voice memo and sent it? She doesn't know what movie she's in. So I no, no, no. I. Spider-Man. I feel like at this point someone will tell her, but she probably has no idea. I am really and then she'll have like a Gwyneth moment and be like, oh my gosh, I was in that movie. I I wonder if she'll even ever talk about it. She's very private about the whole thing. And I'm like still kind of shocked she ever went on the record, even if it was later. I do like wonder if um because i know ashley judd went to new york film festival right i do wonder if she'll like go to any other events for the film because i do think it speaks like volumes to the film that she not only like was on board with them telling this aspect of her story but just like being in it it's like such a it's so crazy she's in the trailer and you don't realize it's ashley judd in the trailer it is such a well-cut trailer because I had no idea until I was The fact like, that she goes and relives her trauma so people can actually understand it. My heart also, rest in peace, my heart goes out to her right now. I understand if she doesn't want to do anything. But, oh, Ashley Judd, what a champion. Truly. And it's like one of those, like, you're like, the careers just like derailed because of this. And like the performers, like, you don't even really like think about because he did such a good job at like steamrolling their lives and it's just like obviously that's not important but like if you moved out here to act or to pursue acting or 
you started making it and then he came in and did this it's just like to see Ashley Judd like a big film again it was so like this is what she should have been doing this whole time and it's just like a reminder of like what he even if we didn't don't know specifics about what he did to some people it's like he did do these things that are really like tangible for us to understand like just from a career aspect of like dreams lost like is still so awful and it's also like she kind of has to like all of these women have to carry like that their passion and like their careers they really wanted and that's really like um really shown with Jennifer Ely's character is like she really wanted this like career and like she not only lost it before she really even had it but it's like a dream like crushed and like now they can't even positively think about this thing they were passionate about because of what he did and it's just like another aspect to assault and sexual cases like this that people don't really think about because people are like oh well, like you're okay and you don't even really understand the psychological aspect thought about the women who went to college and pursued degrees in acting or in something else to work in this business and then this happened and you know obviously their whole career was thrown away the the years that they spent on schooling was thrown away because this man couldn't just behave like a normal freaking human being and yeah i think that this film does a really good job of sort of showing all of the different ways in which these women were affected and the ways in which they, you know, um, continued to be affected by what Harvey Weinstein did. Um, for example, you know, there's that scene with the the woman who whose husband didn't even know. And I think the, you know, not only having the trauma of that happening to you, but then having the trauma of feeling like you can't share that with anyone Um is really horrific and that's something that's going to have you know an effect for so many years on someone and it just made me honestly this is one of those movies that I love it but also it made me so angry yeah and I think that's why it's so effective is that like you walk away like you feel like it like oh like we did it we got him at the end but then I feel like the more time you spend thinking about it you're so angry and not only like what's still ongoing in the industry obviously but like just like all the things that were lost over the decades that this was taking place because people were allowing him to do so it's just infuriating and that's like I think that's why this movie will like have a lasting legacy is because it'll be able to say so much for so many, not even just the actual victims and sources in the story, but just women who go through anything like this. It's just, they, they communicate it really well to where it's not just about these women. It's about anyone who's gone through this. And I think that's what makes the film so powerful is like, you can relate to it if you've had any experience with this. And it's not just about like actors going through this. Like it's not just about Ashley Judd. Like it is about anyone who's ever been subjected to something like this. And I think that's why them focusing so much on like the assistants and the other characters rather than just Ashley Judd and Gwyneth Paltrow. That is why it'll really feel more effective for audiences watching it. And I hope that, similar to Nightmare Alley that this movie may have not performed in theaters that it can find like a life once it's available on streaming because all the people that are like saying that the box office is like derailing everything for the film 
I think people forget that like Nightmare Alley like literally was out of theaters after two weekends because I was gonna say, of Spider Man. Four dollars. So. Yeah, and it was no, all me. Yeah. No movie. It was all me. Yeah, no movie did well last year except for Doom because it was a blockbuster. King Richard failed. Belfast failed. Um, well, Licorice Pizza play- failed. West Side Story. Like no, none of these. Coda movies... wasn't even in theaters. I know. You had to yeah. blink and you missed it. And it is just another thing they'll try to use against this movie. And exactly. Yeah. It's it's a it's a the strong power of the dog movie. made negative dollars. Yeah. I think it made like two hundred thousand dollars or something shocking like that. Like it yes. was like yeah. Like you're telling me that that's why Pinocchio is not like it's like you're not saying that about any other movie. Like you're only no. saying it about this movie, and it's just like. I also think people aren't realizing, like... Literally, West Side Story was a huge bomb for Disney. Like, it was a huge, huge. bomb. And you know what happened? Like, I made another movie this year. Like, <laughs> I like I don't understand. We're not even having the conversation. Like, oh, that was a flop. Like, did um, Ready Player One make a lot of money? It did decent. I think <laughs> it almost got to $600 million worldwide. But... But also, we have to remember, these great directors, I love the movie Hugo, I am an island of one on that, that movie didn't make any money, and it still won a bajillion Oscars, and was almost one. It's an island of two. Yes! (laughs) I'm not alone anymore in my thoughts. An island of two. How much did The Post make? Because I feel like that was the last big $12. Hi, I'm a The Post defender. I think it is one of his best films of the last ten years. You mean uh, the last 30 years? Ours yeah. kind of low. I, I'm not his biggest fan, but... That's why I'm going to fight him. But I would love to meet him and his scarf. With Darren Aronofsky's scarf. Have a scarf off. Yeah, like, I'm sorry, the whale's going to make negative $2. And that's not <laughs> okay, that's my other Brendan thing. Fraser. The whale yeah. is literally not no, going to make any money. It'll make $0 because there. I'll balance it out. <laughs> there I... I already spent money on it. So you're welcome, Darren Aronofsky. I- I'm there for you, bro. Um, yeah. But since we've gone on for quite a bit, I believe we had a lot to say about this movie. Um, I guess. Does anybody have any final thoughts or did everybody get there? I had one last thing I wanted to say, and it's one of the other critiques that men have been lobbying at the movie is that it's self-serving or that it lets Hollywood off easy. And I don't think that's the case at all. I think he watched a different movie because I think it makes it very clear that there were people enabling Harvey from his other executives and his lawyers and his assistants and so on and so forth. And it really is just another example of their refusal to actually engage with the material that's in front of them because like we were saying earlier too even though Ashley Judd and Gwyneth Paltrow factor into the film they're not the primary focus and Ashley Judd does deservedly earn that final beat because it was the beat that made the story so I just think once again that most all of the criticisms that men have been lobbying against the film are off base and that's one of the worst because it just shows that you watched an entirely different movie or did not watch this at all I completely agree because I think especially that scene where um Carrie Mulligan shows up at that I don't remember what he is at his house and she's like can you yeah. talk about the settlements and his mm-hmm. wife's like what settlements yeah like it's very well done to show the scope of things and that it was like a massive cover-up it wasn't just someone running through the industry recklessly like there mm-hmm. were so many people that were in the know and covered it up yep. but that's actually a really great note to end on is that men did not pay attention 
Um, so Zoe, where can everyone find you on the internet? You can find me essentially everywhere at Zoe Rose Bryant and specifically on my new YouTube channel. Amazing. We'll link in the description, but Zoe just did a wonderful discussion on um, both She Said and Women Talking that is very informative and I highly recommend. Um, Morgan, where can everyone find you on the internet? Um, until it implodes, I'm on Twitter at MSML Roberts and uh, you can follow my very sporadic writing at uh, Morgan's Movie Musing on Substack. Amazing. Highly recommend subscribing. Chelsea, where can everyone find you? You can find me on Twitter, bullying Scott Feinberg um, at Chelsea725. That's also where I am on Letterboxd. Do not find me on Instagram. It's just my nephew and dogs. Love the dog footage. Jillian, where can everyone find you? I'm on Letterboxd and Twitter at Jillian Chili and TikTok at off screen with Jillian. Highly recommend following Jillian's TikTok. Um, Lex, where can everyone find you? Um, you can find me on Twitter for as long as it's around and Instagram at, at Alexis Willie, W-I-L-L-I underscore. You can find me on TikTok, but I don't recommend it. It's just me fangirling over Eddie Munson at, at Moonshoes Lexi. Thank you. Highly recommend her TikTok anyway. Nicole, where can everyone find you? <laughs> you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Nicole Ackman16. Also, Hive. I joined Hive. Is that where we're moving if Twitter implodes? I don't know. Um, I and had questions also, about that earlier, yeah. Yeah, I, I went ahead and made one as a backup. I also made a Tumblr that's also like Nicole Ackman16, just in case. Um, I'm I'm locking down my, my username on Your everything username. just in case Twitter implodes. Uh, but also, I should have a written review of She Said going up somewhere around the same time of this podcast. So be sure to look at Oscar Central for that. Amazing. You can follow me at Kinsvenunu on everything except Letterboxd because presently I don't use it. You can follow the website on all social media platforms at Oscars underscore central. Once again, if you have Oscars central, please let it go. You don't use it. Um, and you can follow us online on our website at oscarcentral.com. And that is the show. Thank you for listening to this very long episode.